Hi everyone, welcome back to my channel. My name is Peter Barber. I'm primarily a professional opera singer, music producer, and a bass vocalist. And I'm so, so, so excited to announce the relaunch of my podcast and interview series called Vocal Arts with Peter Barber and kicking it off for episode one, I guess episode 10 or 11 when I funnel it back in with the others. This is Tim Faust, y'all, the legendary bass singer from Home Free and a number of other groups which I learned about during the interview. Got to chat with Tim for nearly two hours. It was a wonderful chat. He's a wonderful guy. Um, you know, it was such an honor to talk with him and get a look into his life and his entire career, how he approaches singing, what he does for fun, all the groups he's been in, how he practices, you know, how he trains his voice and his advice to young bass singers as well. We really had a wonderful conversation. We had a, a great time talking to each other, and I, I truly believe this is the start uh, or the continuation of a friendship that started when he did his collaboration with the Bass Gang, which we are still buzzing about. So guys, without further ado, please enjoy the chat slash interview wherever you're listening or if you're watching here between me and the legendary, honestly, the man, the myth, the legend, Tim Faust. Let's uh, let's get into it. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on my channel or podcast, depending on who's listening. Everybody, this is Tim Faust, the legendary bass singer currently with Home Free, who uh, was recently generous enough to collaborate with the Bass Gang. And it was an absolute pleasure working with him. And I'm thrilled that he's here having a conversation with me. Uh, Tim, most people watching this will, of course, already know you. But how would you just give like your elevator pitch? of a background for who you are and what you're currently up to. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, singer, songwriter, uh, uh, utility vocalist, uh, <laughs> best known as bass singer for, for home free, but I've released, uh, some solo projects and have some side projects and yeah, just like making music with fun, talented people. Amazing. And you are currently in Nashville, correct? Yeah. Have you lived elsewhere throughout your life? I was curious about that. How long you've been in Nashville? Yeah, I've lived, I uh, grew up in Southeast Texas, um, but I spent some time up in Minnesota uh, singing with a group called Blue Jupiter, uh, out in Boston singing with a group called Ball in the House, and uh, Southern California uh, had a songwriting gig out there. And then while I was there, I also sang quite a bit with a group called the Alley Cats. So, is this is this all all acapella groups? Yeah. Okay, cool. All all pro, some semi-pro. No, all pro. I mean, in theory. <laughs> Did the, you? Uh, Blue Jupiter was like was the first group I ever joined, and it was a startup group. So uh, we didn't have other jobs. Uh, so I guess that technically we were full time, uh, but we also didn't didn't get paid that much. So uh, <laughs> so if you so, call that professional or not? Right. I know it's it's kind of hard to say what. Um, so now Home Free does predominantly country music, some, you know, more sacred music, like How Great Thou Art. Um, for these other groups, did you, have you sung in a bunch of different genres? Yeah. Um, Blue Jupiter was like more pop leaning, kind of like your traditional contemporary acapella group, which Home Free used to be as well. You know, um, you know, when you're up and coming uh, and, and, usually performing for audiences that aren't familiar with you. You know, you, you try to do as many different styles as you can to appeal to as many people as you can, because you're, you're trying to win over a crowd. 
Um, so that's kind of, you know, what, what mm-hmm. Blue Jigger did. Um, Ball in the House was pop and then kind of started like veering towards hip hop a little bit. Believe it or okay. not. Okay. Uh, the Alley Cats are a uh, comedic tribute to the music of the 50s and 60s. So all okay. doo-wop stuff, um, incredible singers, uh, kind of an interesting business model uh, in that they just have this like giant roster of talent. Um, and in fact, I should hook you up with those guys while we're at it. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. They'll just like book three shows on the same day in different parts of the world and, and then figure out how to cast it after that. Okay, cool. Uh, but it's just <laughs> the, the most fun gig. It, it's it's more about the comedy than anything. The music you, just happens to be really good. You said that was the Alley Cats? Yeah, yeah. Did they... Uh, so I, I've I've heard some of your solo work. Um, did, were you influenced by that style, working with that group for your solo work? Um, I mean, I'm sure it played a part, um, but I was raised on that stuff. My My mom raised me on the vocal groups of the fifties and sixties. And I, I was always really drawn to any music that was really harmony focused. Okay. Very cool. And you did, I, I'm guessing, I mean, you've got a crazy vocal range. Have you, have you pretty much sung all the parts at one time or another? Like you said, utility singer. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, I think I mostly did bass, uh, with, with the alley cats, but you know, even, um, even now and with Blue Jupiter, you know, there was a lot of jumping around and, um, you, you know, like basses and baritones, like typically have the ability, you know, they're, we're kind of like born with a strong falsetto or at least, you know, the ability to access it, you know, whether or not people cultivate, it's another thing, but most true basses should be able to like really kind of well on that high Frankie Valley kind of, yeah, these are falsetto. <laughs> And so, you know, these days, even in, in Home Free, uh, if like Austin is singing a high lead and we want a harmony part above him, I usually end up singing that. <laughs> it helps that we also have Adam Chance, who's like a phenomenal bass singer. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good that he can fill in when you're when you're doing something else. It, that is funny, though. The basses do kind of have the the ability for the widest range. Yeah, it's not really no, because you're right. Like usually, a trained, say, a, a somewhat trained bass singer will have gained some access to the falsetto, which gives them, you know, much lower than the other voice parts on the bottom, and then usually higher on, or right. you know, with with at least like maybe a bit of higher quality, like better vocal fold closure, whatever, on that falsetto. It's kind of a hack. It's great though. It's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> the bass gang always they have a habit of throwing me and Tommy all the like crazy high stuff because. Usually when we're both warmed up, we can kind of like squeal our way up to a soprano high C. But I'm also like, maybe I shouldn't have showed anyone I can do that because now I get stuck with those obnoxiously high lines. <laughs> it's cool that, it's cool that uh, all of you guys in the bass gang, you know, have, have wide ranges and, and use it. Um, you know, I, I, uh, that's, you know, that's more and more the case with low singers, which is cool. Um, but you know, if, in the past, you know, I, I would meet all these, these like lower vocalists who just like didn't even bother, you know, going up there at all. Um, yeah. and even now, you know, like I, I, uh, I give, you know, some, uh, vocal lessons to, to, uh, bass singers. Uh, I'm not like qualified to do anything particularly technical, but what, what I do is just, <laughs> Um, tell them what's worked for me and, and, you know, give them like pointers as far as like contemporary acapella bass singing. Um, yeah. The first thing I tell them is like, okay, stop worrying about trying to sing super low. I want you to go the other way. 
And they all think <laughs> that. Yeah, they just want to. Between now and our next lesson, I want you to like just like live in your falsetto. Yeah, and, and get comfortable singing along with like Brian Wilson and Frankie Valli. And- yeah, no, I mean they all just want to sing, you know, the subwoofer stuff on a giant sound system. Yeah, and I get it, <laughs> you know, like that gets a huge rea- reaction, you know, like yeah. with with minimal effort. If you just get a mic and go, yeah, like the audience <laughs> will. So why would you <laughs> yeah. do anything else? Um, <laughs> exactly. I would. I would get. I think I would get bored if I just had to um, sing bass all the time. Um, but also, like, by the time my voice changed, I had already started writing music as well. Um, and to this day, I tend to write in a tenor range. Um, so it was kind of like a little bit of a happy accident uh, in that as my voice was naturally dropping, I was, like, continuing to, to work the upper stuff, um, to sing stuff I had already mm-hmm. previously written, and to continue writing and singing in a range where, like, normal people tend to live. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, a, lot, a few points on that. I mean, one, not much music has been written for bass outside of, uh, you know, choral music. Country music obviously has more bass singers than your standard pop genre. Opera singers, of course, have basses, but like the overwhelming majority of music is just written for higher voice. Um, and of course, part of that makes sense from like the engineering standpoint. It's just it's a little bit tougher to put a bass voice like right at the front of, you know, your, your standard pop mix when you've got 808s and whatever else happening on the bottom. But, um, yeah, no, it, it, that's also what you said about the bass gang. It, it's been fun to have all of us really explore our ranges. Like, like mine is obviously really heavily trained from an operatic standpoint, but like that's different than belting. So that's been like a fun skill to like figure out how to, like healthy yell basically <laughs> yeah i'm also um, impressed with how you can you know go back and forth between like more classical performance and then also like contemporary pop. Well, thank, well thank you yeah i mean it's um the opera stuff is so it's i mean that that technique is so training based like it, it you know it takes years and years and decades to kind of like master that technique most people never even really get there. It's really kind of a freakish thing. Um, I don't know how much uh, experience you've had with opera singers up close, but it's like pretty freaky um, when they just like open up and it is like louder than any yell you've heard, but like yeah. controlled and with the vibrato and everything. It's this like very unnatural thing <laughs> that we do, and it but it did it just it does take time to uh to harness those skills. Um, but about the bass game that you mentioned, yeah, like the bass voice is so cool. People love it. But if everything were just all bass all the time, A, it wouldn't mix well. And B, that would totally get old. So like, even though we're four bass singers, like to have any kind of marketability, really, we've got to we've got to be able to flex, you know, the upper ranges. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> some people will ask Bobby, they're like, Bobby, you should do a whole song in subharmonics. It'd be great. And he's like, it would be awful. And it like that, the, the gimmick would run out in like 10 right. seconds, you know, <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier about, was it blue Jupiter? You said, yeah. And you see, you said you guys would kind of, you perform songs, you'd kind of work to the crowd. I was wondering if you, if you guys would go in with a, with a, uh, like a set in mind, like a specific numbers you're going to do and then change that based on the kind of crowd reaction, like a DJ or if you just made sure you had kind of enough in the set to cover, like what everyone would want to hear. 
Yeah, I mean, we kind of had our our standard set that we that we stuck to for the most part. Um, we were also starting out, so like we didn't have like a huge repertoire that we could pivot to. Um, you know, that was that was more so with like with the later groups. Um, and uh, you know, like Home Free had a pretty big catalog. You know, even before we had like international acclaim, and we were kind of Midwest regional. You know, we still had a, had enough stuff. You know, where if you you walk out there and it's like a lot of blue hairs, you're like, okay, maybe a few more oldies tonight. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. That makes sense. And have you been with Home Free since the start of that group? No, uh, Home Free has actually been around. Uh, they started in 2000, so wow, uh, 23 years. Um, but it was just a hobby, you know, when it started out. And uh, the the better part of the first 10 years was just the trial and error and yeah, how to do this thing. Um, and then as it you know kind of snowballed into more of a career, they started picking up guys who were more serious about doing it full time. Um, so Adam Rupp, our beatboxer, is the is the only remaining founding member at this point. Oh wow! Okay, okay. Um, and and you know Rob is is the next longest member, and he's been there like the entire time that that they were professional. Let's say okay, yeah. So he's been doing it for like close to fifteen years now. Um, I came in a couple of years after that. Um, started out just kind of like subbing in for them. Um, originally they had gotten in touch with me asking for base recommendations. Um, cause I have a been in a lot of groups and B, uh, used to produce groups for cruise ships as well. So just kind of okay. gained a reputation for having like a database of vocalists. So they reached out to me and, and I sent them like five, uh, recommendations for their very first tour, like that Humphrey was ever doing. It was they had the six week tour. Um, and they still had jobs at this point. It was like, yeah, they're their first thing. And, and, uh, and none of those panned out and they just said, well, is there any chance you would come and, and do this tour? I said, I don't know. I haven't really thought about <laughs> temporary acapella in a while. And I've got this cushy songwriting gig out in Southern California but it kind of sounds like fun. <laughs> I talked to the guy that I was uh, working with and for at the time. Uh, and he, he really wanted me to do like a solo country thing. And so um, home free kind of sweetened the deal. They were like, well, how about we learn, you know, like one of your songs and perform it in the show and then sell your solo album on the road. And the guy I was working for really liked that idea. So he was like, yeah, go do it. Um, and so I went and did it and had a lot of fun. And, uh, and then, you know, I went back to Southern California and they went back to their jobs and, you know, six months later, they're like, well, now we're going to try a Christmas tour. Do you want to come do that with us? And I said, sure. So did that. And then, you know, when it, when it came time where they were looking for a full-time member, um, I wasn't really ready for that. Um, you know, I, I was liking what I was doing. They also wanted their, their full-time base to live in the Midwest, which was a deal breaker for me. I love the Midwest for like two months out of the year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just not cut out for it. <laughs> and, uh, so I told him, I was like, you know what, you know, let me know if you're, if you're ever open to me commuting and, uh, and we'll talk about it. So yeah, fast forward a couple of years and, and they were, they were full time enough and, uh, and they were willing to let me fly in. So 
the rest is history. So when, so when was that? When did you make that that full time commitment to home free? Two thousand and eleven or twelve, somewhere in there. Okay, so this is like because I was just thinking, I was wondering how home free's kind of success lines up with when acapella kind of blasted into the mainstream from like pitch perfect sure. and and like pentatonics and it all just I, this is relevant to me because this was i think it was 2014 when i joined an acapella group at my undergrad and the group went from you know selling probably a, f- a few hundred seats at our like final concert to literally selling out like the big 1200 person venue on campus because pitch perfect had come out and people were like, Oh my God, this acapella thing is like cool and funny and weird. Like, let's all go see what's going on. And we kind of saw that like dip, like we held like pretty good numbers for a couple of years and then like started to kind of creep back towards what it was. But I was wondering, you know, how that coincides with home free and, and when you guys went on the sing off and all that. Yeah. I mean, for sure, we, you know, all of all of the, the groups out there benefited from Sing Off and Pitch Perfect. You know, whether or not we were on any of those shows, um, Home Free was was very much full time uh, before that, and you know, t- touring uh, all all the time. It was it was more regional. We did like mostly stuff around the Midwest, um, and then a lot of cruise ship stuff as well. We'd go on as guest entertainers, you know, so you're just out for a week at a time. Um, you know, but we were, we were supporting families and like, you know, we were thrilled. We, we thought we had, you know, made it and, and we had, you know, like if you're, course, if you're supporting yeah. yourself, you know, making music, you, you've made it. Yeah. Um, and so we, I mean, we could have like lived out our, our careers kind of at that point. Um, and then we were, yeah, fortunate enough to, to get on the sing off and, um, and you know, that's what, what really catapulted us for sure. So how, how did you guys, I, I don't know anything about that process for getting on a show like that. How did you guys get on? I never watched like a whole season. I've obviously watched clips of you guys, but how'd you get on? How far did you make it? And then like, what kind of, what kind of came of that, you know, right after the show ends? Yeah. Um, okay. So Humphrey had auditioned uh, like all four seasons of the sing off and you know, had made it to kind of like the final cut. Um, they had, you know, I think already like signed paperwork and stuff like that. Um, you know, and the way, the way it works is, uh, you know, there, there's these like casting agents basically that travel all over the country and hold these auditions. Um, and then they like narrow it down to, I think like 20 groups or so. And then they bring those 20 groups to the producers and the producers like pick their favorite 10, essentially. And that's who's on, who's on the show. Um, so I think Humphrey was like in the discussion every time, but they never made it onto the show um, those first three years. But again, they were, they were just kind of like auditioning as a contemporary male acapella group, yeah. you know, which there's countless of those these days. Right. Right. Uh, and in hindsight, it, you know, it makes so much sense now um, that fourth time they they then had myself in Austin. And uh, and what's funny is we weren't really auditioning as a country group. 
Um, but our first audition song was Life is a Highway. Originally, you know, a rock song, but people know the Rascal Flats version. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> our second song was Your Man by Josh Turner, which is a country song, but we were just doing to show me off because up to that right. point, they hadn't really featured a bass on the sing-off. So we thought, well, that's one way to set us apart. Um, and then they said, well, what? They kind of stopped us and they were like, you know, what? what are you guys like a country group? And we said, well, no. <laughs> like, well, what, what would you think about like being a full-time <laughs> country group? And we were like, we don't, we don't know. <laughs> We've never thought about it. Um, and we did it, you know, a handful of country stuff in our show. Um, you know, there's so much harmony already built into a lot of country music and it, it converts really well to, to acapella and, and it always got a huge response in our show. So it's, it's kind of funny that we didn't like, focus more on that earlier. Um, but it was the, the agents that really kind of twisted our arm and they said, well, what's your third audition song? And please don't say Jason Mraz or train. And it was going to be a train song. <laughs> and, uh, and so they said, do you guys do any other, any other country stuff? And we thought about it and, you know, like we said, well, I mean, about a year ago, we did a corporate show and they asked us to learn a Garth Brooks song and we sang it exactly one time. <laughs> they said, go out in the hall, like polish that back up and come in here and sing that for us. And so okay. Okay. And, um, and basically, yeah, these agents said, we, you know, we can't make any guarantees, but if you guys commit to like basically being our token country group, we're almost certain you'll be on the show. And, uh, it was so interesting because, like I said, I had just left a full, like a country solo, you know, <laughs> gig that I've been doing, like to to do home free, you know. Yeah. So for me, I was kind of like it was kind of fun to get back into that contemporary like pop acapella stuff. And so it was funny for me. I'm like, I can't, I can't outrun this stuff. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, we, we kind of had to go home and and uh, you know and like debate and vote on whether or not like because we knew there was no turning back. Also. We knew after that first episode of the sing-off, like more people were going to have seen us perform than every audience of our career leading up to that point. You know, they were yeah. projecting like 10 million viewers. For that <clears throat> so we're like, if we do this, like we're just a country group from now on. And, uh, you know, but like I grew up in Southeast Texas, you know, Austin's from Georgia and, uh, you know, like countries in our bones for sure. And, 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 uh, and, you know, these days we have Adam Chance, who's from Alabama. And so, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a ton of country roots there. So we, we eventually, <laughs> you know, gave in. And, and uh, yeah, it, it's funny, too. I should mention that I had originally, like, voted no on auditioning in the first place. Uh, just, <laughs> I don't know. I was just like, multiple groups had asked me to audition with them. Um, one group that was already on the show asked me to like come be their bass singer. And I was like, nah, I don't think. <laughs> um, and also, you know, it, it was a mixture of stuff. It was like, do we want to get, you know, locked into those kind of like nasty contracts like that can happen. Um, yeah. You know, we got a good thing going one season, like the pro, like one of the pro groups like got kicked off like first <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and so we're like, you know, at the end of the day, this is reality television. 
Yeah, you know, that's I was going to ask. Next. Packaged as a talent competition, but you know, at the end of the day, it's it's a it's reality TV, and yeah, and pulling the rug out from under people makes for good TV. And so we're just like, I just don't know. And you know, they they sequester you, you know, for a couple of months to film, and we had a full calendar of shows, and you know, it's like a couple of us were just like, I don't know if it's if it's worth the hassle. You know, some of the guys were like, we've tried this three times already. I don't know if I can take it on <laughs> beating. <laughs> and it just so happened that we had a, a, a cruise ship gig. And uh, and there was going to be an audition uh, like in New York. And so we could get, you know, the cruise company to like fly us in on their dime. It's like, ah, oh, we can just go in a day early, do the audition, then get on the ship. It was like there was no good reason not to, basically. Yeah. So we're like, ah, why not? And then next thing you know, we're, we're a country group and we're on the sing-off. And, <laughs> and, and every week we're just like, our only goal was don't get sent home first. And, uh, you know, and then as it progressed and we kind of like got farther in the competition, you know, like you go into it thinking like, we probably don't want to win this because then we might get like locked into a contract and have to go all our money to a record label. You know, but then as it as it goes on, you're kind of like, but I kind of want to win it. You know, you're just like <laughs> got that competitive thing, and yeah, uh, and we yeah we ended up winning it. You did win it, okay. I I I, I thought you did, but I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure. Yeah. Um, how did the contract turn out? Was it? You know what? It worked out. It worked out really well. So the the deal is with Sony Music publishing or something like that like so sony pictures music which is like not even a real like it's basically it's just, it's just a uh it exists almost solely for like uh, soundtracks and things like that okay but it's again it sounds good to the general viewer you know who doesn't know any better it's like wow a record deal i mean it's got sony in the name so right it sounds good uh but at the end of the day a record deal is like nothing more than a loan essentially that you have to pay back <laughs> on top of that, you typically, you know, have to give a portion of everything you make to the to the record label. Um, fortunately yeah. for us, uh, Columbia Records, which is a, a subsidiary of Sony, like actually wanted us, you know, and so we could have just gathered, you know, dust under this like, you know, uh, barely existent record label. Um, but fortunately, like the head of Columbia was like, no, I really want those guys. Um, and so, yeah, they were really, they were really good to us. I mean, you know, we, we, the, the terms were still not in our favor, but I can't, we can't really complain because, um, you know, we had, we had a label that wanted us and cared about us and, you know, put support behind us. And, and also ultimately like, just let us do our thing. I had a call with, uh, with the executive from, from that label and he said, you know, listen, you guys know how to do what you do more than I do. So just like, let me know how I can help, basically. That's awesome. I mean, Columbia, yeah. Columbia is a phenomenal yeah. label. Like, I, I know they do, they work with a bunch of different genres. Um, like, I know, I know a number of opera singers who are under that label, which is yeah. like super different from, you know, acapella or anything else. But yeah. they have a really good reputation just kind of across the whole music yeah. industry. So that's awesome. Um, I was curious about uh, the sing-off because for American Idol and for the voice and all this, you know, they will like, they will give the people they push forward like a backstory 
that can be like complete BS. Like I had a friend that went on and they just like just made up things about his past that made it seem like more compelling as like a, you know, underdog story. Basically, did they I don't know if you're allowed to talk about what they did. or no, didn't I, can't. I mean, they tried a little bit. It's so funny. Like sometime if you get bored, you should go back and watch uh, like all those episodes are on, on YouTube. And particularly the first one was funny because you've got, you know, you've got these like Hollywood producers trying to package what, you know, what they think like country heritage is. <laughs> so they ended up coming out and filming us at a show we were doing at a county fair in Iowa. And, you know, it was like they ended up driving around and, and like finding a farm and just asking the farmer, like, hey, can I drag this band out to your property and just like film them on the farm? <laughs> I guess. And uh, so it was like the whole thing was just was just kind of like was was silly. And uh, so that was funny. Um I fear I mean if they're trying to push you guys as a like a proper country group they're going to want to squeeze every bit out of that. Yeah. <laughs> right like as country as possible cuz that's what the viewers are going to be like, "Wow, that's like a that's a real authentic country group." Right. So that, you know, that was kind of funny. And then you know, there's like the one thing that comes to mind is uh uh you know, they have a thing called like the ultimate sing-off which every week the bottom two groups you know, like compete, so to speak. Okay. So funny. They want to make it look like pitch perfect, you know, like a, like an acapella. <laughs> the battle. riff off or whatever that is. Yes. And they want it to, to look like off the cuff and organic. And it's just like, that's just not how acapella not, works, you no. know? I mean, like, you know, <laughs> some people of course can fake their way through arrangements if they have a good enough ear. Um, but you know, you can't like stop midline and throw it to the other group and have them, no. you know? No. So it's so funny. It was all, it's all very rehearsed. Um, and each week, you know, we all had to arrange and learn the, whatever the ultimate sing off battle song was. And so we spent all week like rehearsing that with different configurations of people. Um, and we were never in the bottom two, but when it was down to six groups, they made everyone do a battle that week. Uh, and so we did a battle with, with the Philharmonic. Um, but it was, we, we made it super collaborative and not competitive at all. And we knew like, if we, if we did it right, that like, there's no way they could send either one of us home basically. So we, you know, we, we put a little humor in there and those guys are hilarious and super talented. So we just had a really good time crafting an arrangement with them. Um, but that week, you know, like leading up to it in the like the interviews and asides and stuff, they like wanted us to like be competitive and kind of like talk smack. <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, we're just not doing that. And they would they, they would just get so frustrated, <laughs> you know, they would be like, yeah, but, you know, at the end of the day, if it comes down to your group or their group, who's going home? And I was like, neither one of us. I'm, and they were just like, they hated that. And, uh, and so what, what's funny, like I had kind of become friends with one of the producers. She's like, listen, she's like, you got, you got to give me something. And I being sarcastic was like, it's like, well, no matter what, we ain't going nowhere. And I was like, oh, they'll never air that. And of course they, they aired that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good clip from the whole, the whole so thing. I learned my reality television lesson. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I'm like, it's, I mean, it's all so producer driven, right? Like, especially the reality shows, probably less so for the, the, the sing off. And, but, you know, you think like Jersey Shore or whatever, like name your reality show. It's just like, there's a script the producers want to have happen. And that's just whatever the Absolutely. most entertaining, you know, inciting thing is, is what's going to happen. Well, and what's funny, and I mean, I'm, I'm probably not supposed to say stuff like this, but I don't really care. It's been so long. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's somewhat, you know, predetermined. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's ratings based and demographics based and stuff like that, you know? Right. Like there was two college groups on there, you know? So it's like one of those is going to be on the chopping block pretty quick. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I think there was one week in particular where the producers thought they had a certain group in mind to, to go home. And then that group like did really well. And another group kind of like biffed it. <clears throat> and so it was so funny because when, when it came time for like the judge's decision, it's like, it took forever and they disappeared and we're just like, I'm sitting there like, what the hell is going on? And then we like, you know, found out later that they were, they like, yeah. they're like, we can't, we can't like send the group home that we thought we were going to basically because the other group was awful. And so yeah. you know, they kind of yeah. had to pivot. Um, but it was definitely eye opening and, and you kind of, you know, you learn, I learned how reality television works and, you know, I was like, oh, this isn't this isn't really a music competition. Like this is a yeah. television show and, and getting to see behind that curtain was eye opening. And then right after that, we went on a show called big time RV. And that was even worse because we <laughs> did to buy an RV. And it was like, I didn't really like, you know, I didn't really, again, they wanted a backstory. So they came up with, uh, they were like, well, how about you guys always want like a mobile green room? And I was like, I Yes. Okay. <laughs> but you know, like we don't, we don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars burning a hole in our pocket. You know, <laughs> like, I didn't really like the message that sent. Like we're just yeah. like both buying an RV. So we have air conditioner while we're performing at County fairs and stuff. Um, but we, you know, <laughs> we did it. And you know, it was just, you don't even think about that when you're watching these shows that like, Oh, these no. people aren't really buying the thing that the TV show told me they were buying. Right. You know, it's like, oh, this is like so much of this is just completely fabricated. It's just for TV. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so you said you lived in SoCal for a while. Yeah. Um, do you have any any desire to get back out there? I personally love SoCal. I did my master's at USC. I'm going to be, I'll be in Santa Barbara for most of the summer doing a program out there. I've like been on the East. I love the East Coast. Grew up in Virginia. That's where I am right now. Philly, as far as city goes, I like, but you just can't beat the SoCal weather, especially and the whole kind of atmosphere out there is different. Um, oh, I loved it. I loved every second of it. Uh, I never missed seasons. It, the weather was perfect <laughs> every day. And I, right. right. Um, no, I, I would totally, I could totally live out there. Um, it's too dry for my, for my wife. So that's a, okay. So, so no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so no <laughs> and how how long you been in nashville um nine years yeah okay yeah, do you like the sing-off in 2013 mm -hmm. and i moved out here the year after that so yeah okay cool um i spent the summer of 2015 in nashville uh my buddy george washburn is still there he's a 
exceptional guitarist makes a makes full living as a guitar player um and we i moved with him right after he graduated from undergrad and we just spent the summer there like we worked at a coffee shop and we both became crepe chefs and would just do like open mics and stuff like that and then when the fall rolled around i went back to undergrad but he's he's still there so he's been there like uh i guess eight years now playing guitar was the coffee shop red bicycle that's the one yeah we we worked at the one in uh germantown yeah you been there oh yeah i did make a crepe for cole swindell one time wow <laughs> i remember they, he ordered it for takeout and they were like peter this one's for cole swindell like don't mess it up <laughs> i was like oh shit all right <laughs> super like high you're, you're <laughs> top, that one. yeah top tier crepe maybe maybe an extra extra bit of bacon or something <laughs> Wow. Not there. Can you still could you still make a crepe if you had to at home? Uh if I if I had the crepe batter and a crepe like stove, crepe stove top, I definitely could. Oh. Um I actually have told myself like whenever I get to the forever home, I will have like a proper, you know, large flat circular crepe stove. Because I mean they were they were phenomenal and they they wised up by the end of summer because I figured out how much me and my friend ate. But you, for the first like two months of that summer. We could just eat for free. So we would literally just go in, make a huge crepe, breakfast crepe, then a lunch crepe, take a dinner crepe home and maybe a dessert crepe too. We, we would just eat that. And they're like, we're actually like losing money probably like <laughs> from hiring these guys. Cause you know, we're like 21, 22 years old. Like yeah. if, if we could just whip up good food for the whole day, yeah, we're going to do it. So they, they wised up. Then it was like 50% off at the end of the summer. I think we we single-handedly changed that rule for the restaurant. <laughs> Hold that like a badge of honor. So wait, you you said you were doing like open mics and stuff too? Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you when because George, uh, he was doing the songwriting thing for a while. So he was doing all the like get-togethers where it's just like a bunch of songwriters trying to trying to make stuff happen, trying to write songs together, a lot of co-writing. Um, so that's why he was there originally and he kind of pivoted it's at some point it became clear that he's just like really good at guitar and that's like his main thing wants to be like a studio guitarist. He's been on a number of tours and stuff. Um, I think his, he was in a group that like opened for Dirks Bentley on like, you know, like a festival. So like doing well, doing well as a guitar player, but yeah, we, we did a few open mics and just like played cause he, he wasn't much of a singer, isn't much of a singer really his guitar. So I would like learn his songs and would sing and he would play guitar. Um, but I can't remember the names of them, the where we did them. It's been so long, eight years, kind of crazy. So do you write at all? Um, no, I really, I really haven't much. I've, I've made, uh, my undergrad was actually music production. So I've done, a, I actually produced a lot of more like electronic based music. Actually. Um, I did some time, did some time. I did some school, <laughs> did some time in Miami. I did a couple of years of school in Miami and got, pretty influenced by the the electronic stuff got really into producing that for a while so i've made a lot of original electronic music and i've also written a good amount of original choral music there was this one there's this one summer where i just wrote a ton just like dove deep and wrote a ton of choral music but i really haven't yet gotten into the the songwriting um i just started learning how to play guitar a few months ago so i think maybe when those skills develop more that give me a little better ability to, to, to start writing. Um, it's definitely something I'd like to do eventually, but just haven't really, haven't really done it. Opera is, oh. opera is pretty time consuming. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, okay. So 
what is next for your solo stuff and what is next for home free? That's a good question. Um, well, home free, we're currently uh, in the process of like uh, recording two albums simultaneously. Mm. I can't say too, too much about that. Yeah. Yeah. But those are going to get released kind of back to back. Um, <clears throat> so really busy with that. Um, you know, we're, we're actually in the process of trying to figure out how to tour less. Okay. Um, you know, cause we, four of us are married pretty much all of us are married. You know, a couple of us have kids and we just want to be home with our families more. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, what, what that looks like and, and, and find that, that sweet spot, you know, where we're, we're still making money, but we're, but we're home way more than we are now. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of the, the main thing. Um, you know, that, that might result in even more recording, which we, we do a ton already. Um, but we might, we might do like more recording more more videos, uh, you know, try to like lean into streaming numbers and, and stuff like that. Um, and, and see if that can kind of help offset less shows. Um, for me, I, I'm not sure exactly on, you know, solo wise, uh, I have my own uh, Patreon campaign, uh, which, which is going really, really well. And for now, that's kind of like where I release all my stuff. I do it. I try to okay. do at least like one, uh, one project per month, uh, uh, but two if I can. Um, and that's a lot of like collaborating with friends. In fact, if you look it up, it says just Tim Faust and friends are creating stuff i think it says uh, <laughs> but it can be anything you know it, it's, it's mostly music but sometimes i'll like put a drawing on there or like a you know i i'm kind of like famous for my my angry rants so i like had a blog at one point called <laughs> my brisket so occasionally i'll release a what burns my brisket on there or uh i kind of i'm interested in maybe like doing some podcasting and, and different nice. stuff like that so um that's an outlet for that um you know, I have one one solo country album that I released a long time ago. I mean, it's 2012 or something like that. Um, and uh, and I'll probably, you know, do another one at some point. Um, I'm always writing and recording and, and Patreon basically, like, you know, affords me the opportunity to hire legit session players here in Nashville and make, you know, make these... I call them demos, but they just, they sound like they could go right on the radio already. Um, and you know, home free always kind of gets first dibs on those songs. Um, but I, eventually I'll have enough left over to probably just release another, uh, album. Um, but last year, you know, I released a, uh, a doo-wop album, acapella doo-wop album, and I sang all the parts. Um, and I called it pieces of me volume one. So, okay sure I'll, I'll do volume two at some point and volume two probably won't be doo-wop uh I'm, I'm sure i'll do another doo-wop one at some point but mm -hmm. volume two might be southern gospel um anyway i got yeah i got a, got a lot of ideas so hopefully we can do do volumes of that eventually um but uh austin and i have started a side project called sweet and low um with some of our most talented friends and family and so it's this uh this six-part collective of just unbelievable multi-instrumentalist vocalist songwriters um everyone can can sing and play and write and it's really really fun um 
it's not acapella. It's, it's, uh, it's got instruments. It's kind of, kind of folky a little bit. Um, and so we're, we're, we've been begun recording with that group and, uh, we take that group out, uh, for, for shows from time to time as well. Um, I had started something during the pandemic called backyard bashes, which was just like a, at the time was just a way to be able to like bring live music to people who were desperately missing it. Um, you know, so it started out like, Hey, we're going to show up with a car full of equipment set up. You have to sit 20 feet away. We're going to sit <laughs> and then tear down Man. and get out of here. Cause it was the beginning of the pandemic. We didn't yeah, know. Much yeah. About. yeah, exactly. Uh, but it was like a little hack, you know, it's like a way to safely bring music to people. And I kind of thought that would subside as the pandemic did, but the opposite has happened. So uh, at the time it was a lot of Tim Faust and friends stuff, mostly trio stuff. And then, and that has kind of like evolved into, to sweet and low now. So if anyone's watching and you want to bring sweet and low to your backyard, you can go to <laughs> music.com and all right. How to bring us to your backyard. Fantastic. I will have to, um, show you george the guitar player's info um yeah please do if you're if you, yeah if you're looking to hire uh guitar players for a studio session or whatever he he really is phenomenal cool um so yeah i'll i'll show you that at the end of this cool man so you've got a, you got a lot of uh a lot of things cooking absolutely um yeah i just i like making music and it's you know it's a blessing and a curse when your hobby becomes your job you know um, absolutely yeah you know because it started out in high school just like sitting around and harmonizing with buddies yeah uh, and you know it's like now that's how that's how i make make my living which is like total blessing but at the same time it's just like this thing you started out doing just for fun and now like it it is work you know mm -hmm. and it does require energy and work and sacrifice and <laughs> You know, it's it's certainly not as glamorous as it, as it looks from the outside. And, yeah. you know, the part that people see is like maybe 10% of the gig. Yep. The other 90% is pretty grueling and, and not glamorous. And, and, um, and so it's kind of fun to have these side projects that are just passion projects. You know, it's like there's no deadlines. We're doing it just because we love doing it. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And as, as, as stuff gets recorded, like we'll, we'll release it. We'll do shows when we can, but for the most part, it's just, just fun. And it's, yeah. so it's kind of nice to have like a hobby again in music. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely know what you mean with all that. Um, I mean, you know, people are rewarded in public for what they practice in private all the time. You know what I mean? Like, um, <clears throat> just as it relates to opera, you know, part, part of the opera, like, memorizing like a 400 page score all in italian like every every note every word you've got another translation and then know it and, and then throw that in with all the acting and connecting with the conductor and orchestra and it is like absolutely colossal and then you know if you're lucky you get to do five or six shows maybe at a really major opera house you do a run of like 10 shows and it's like like this role I just did, I had I had been studying for like years, <laughs> like to get it as prepped as I wanted to. I just you know, my first year, at this institution started looking at it, started coaching it with vocal coaches and and teachers, and then we did it my third year. So I was like, actually years of prep to like be able to do it at the level I did, which I'm really really proud of. 
but it's insane. So it's like, you really do, you really do see that for like really people who are really performing at a high level, you really do just see the tip of the iceberg. So I, I, I totally know what you mean there. Um, the point about, um, music being a hobby for me right now, that's the guitar. Yeah. Like no, I'm not doing anything guitar related that has to do with revenue or performance. It's not a part of my YouTube channel. It's not part of anything. It's just like when I have time and I want to play the, like, sometimes I'll just put on like lately, just like, cause I'm just pretty much working on chords right now. I'll put on like Luke Combs latest album and just like figure out the chords and just like listen to the whole album takes like an hour, just like trying to play along and it's yeah. a blast and there's no pressure. And it's like, music is really fun that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. But and yeah, agents and lawyers get involved. Agents, lawyers, producers, you know, whatever. Um, I was wondering, I remember um, Peter Hollins at some point, he was, um, he released some information about like his music videos and how they, you know, worth it profit wise or whatever. I mean, does, does home free make, obviously you don't have to reveal numbers, but like, do you guys make some money off the, off the music videos and the streaming just via YouTube or do you get, okay, cool. Very cool. Um, yeah. And I, I couldn't tell you those numbers if I wanted to. That's, that's the upside <laughs> to, to having a team of people around. Yeah, you. definitely. They handle that stuff. Um, but we do. And I, I know, um, like last year in particular, it was a little bit of like a, an eye opener, um, you know, as far as the potential of streaming. Um, so especially when you like own the masters and all the exactly, rights. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like we're only a, a, a <clears throat> removed at this point from our, our deal. Um, we ended up, you know, asking to be released from our deal and they were gracious enough to let us out. So it's like, we're you know, learning what it, what it feels like to, to own everything. Um, and, and for all, all of those pennies to go into your pocket. Um, it also helped that, that sea shanty medley we did went like mega viral and yeah. you know, became like a mm -hmm. dance challenge in Asia, which is like, <laughs> wild <laughs> you know so it's like i don't, also don't think we can necessarily like rely on last year's numbers um but it is is something you know that we are putting more focus on you know these days and especially now that we're uh you know we're we're writing our own stuff more and more um this the last record we put out so long dixie um is the first album that with the exception of two covers, every other song was either written by Austin Brown or myself. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So we, we've always like sprinkled in originals. Um, and we released an album called Dive Bar Saints that had some of our originals and then also songs from Nashville writers and stuff like this. But, you know, now we're, we're starting to, to write more, more of our stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. That's cool. Cause I mean, acapella is like predominantly a cover genre yeah. so that's that's awesome that you guys are diving more into that also probably good for i mean if you can really it's one thing because like like you said about the sea shanty thing if you do something like that you can get these crazy numbers because it's like trendy and it's what it's a cover of something really popular but if you can but if you can make your originals popular that's like that's an even bigger funnel of just like you you own every part of that song so you get 
you know, all the benefit of, you know, the popularity from it. It's like, yeah, that's us. We're not, you know, doing it based on someone else's work. All the streaming, all that is also just like, yes, we wrote that. We have all the rights to that. So like, that's a, that could be a really great move. Um, yeah. Like even like, I'm sure both from the heart, cause that's a really cool thing to write original music and also like the business side of things. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it, we'll always do covers. We, we just, we aggressively release music as it is. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's like, we're always uh, recording and filming music videos. Um, Cause that's such a big driver, you know, for, for our business, like not being on the radio yet. We'll say yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the radio just still doesn't really know what to do with acapella. It's, it's, and I don't really blame them because like, sonically it doesn't really like stack up against just like drums you know like and no just it does and <laughs> like you know guitars it just it doesn't like the, yeah. the, the most well produced you know acapella album like if you really a beat it you know with like country radio it's it's just it just doesn't really fit um <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so you know <clears throat> occasionally something something squeaks through um, you know, and we're also like peppering in instruments here and there, you know, it's like, um, and so who knows, we might, we might find some kind of like hybrid or, or something, but, but in the meantime, you know, uh, music videos is what we have complete control over. And fortunately, uh, you know, there's like an appetite for that among our supporters. And that, that was the, the engine behind our Patreon campaign to begin with. Um, you know, we knew the the spotlight of, of reality television fades really quickly. So we launched a Patreon campaign and uh, with the intent of raising money for really nice looking music videos, because we knew that was awesome. a, a way to, to, to keep people's attention. And, you know, yeah. we were basically just pulling a page out of the Peter Holland's Pentatonix playbook, really. Yeah, uh, yeah, it works. Um, but you know, the, our fans are super generous. Um, and we, they give us a silly amount of money on there and we dump all of that <laughs> back into the videos. Um, but you know, it really, that's, that's what generates, uh, new fans. You know, it, we, you know, we're, we're, all, we're always on tour and we meet people every show who had just discovered us like that week or, you know, the month prior or something. And so, and, and a lot of these old music videos too, we still have people that are like, I just saw, you know, some video you guys released eight years ago and that's what hooked me. And, and, uh, and then in addition to that, a lot of our like mega fans, you know, just have a playlist of our music videos. And every time we release something, they just like add it to that playlist and they just like let it run all day, every day, which is <laughs> great, you know, like for the numbers, you know, cause it's like yeah. all of the numbers are always growing. Um, you know, and it helps with the, the streaming revenue as, as well. And then, as you know, there's this this whole new industry of reactors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, so a, so a lot of our videos get a whole second life, you know, based on uh, the reactors and their channels and, and, you know, your fans discovering us that way. So that's yeah, really cool. It's, that's true. It's true. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing that popped up. I mean, for the reaction thing, I kind of avoided it for a while because i mean i've been transparent about this i i don't have a ton of of respect for the just like press play 
wow in video like that's it like that's why I, like i try to i try to bring a lot of analysis to the videos but like no matter what kind of reaction video is made it does bring more attention to the original artist which is like a net a net positive yeah kind of like no matter what's happening i mean it's it's a really cool thing i'm like obviously the bass gang has benefited a ton from that too yeah um casper our manager always like throws the numbers at us he's like you know we got x many views from you know reaction channels after we released this this music video um so that's 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 a great thing that's really cool though that uh that you guys do that you can turn you can turn a good profit from the music video because like you guys make really high quality music videos like the equipment's obviously really expensive um like depending on the location if you have to like rent out a location that that costs money too so like you have to have a successful project you know to to make all that back via views and streams yeah we we shot some videos uh before the sing-off aired so we were fortunate in that it was all pre-tape so like we knew you know the outcome a couple months before it was going to air yeah we like scrambled to have like an album ready to release like you know the day the finale aired and um and also like shot some some music videos and like really quickly we were like oh this is very expensive (laughs) you can tell you know there's like you can tell the ones that people spend money on and the ones they don't too you know yeah Yeah, for sure and and there's there's just like a standard that people are kind of used to seeing at this point you know it's like unfortunately so if you want to be competitive in that market like you it has to like look a certain way and that and that costs money and we just wouldn't be able to do that without without patreon so we is so we uh i've you probably know a little bit the base gang's meeting up this summer for the first time czech republic and we definitely have just kind of like found out a little bit more about you know how how much the pricing is to like really get that high quality look where it's like the the 6k cameras and, and all that stuff going on so our original number that we raised through kickstarter will still be really helpful towards all that but we found out like a few days ago talking with all the video editors we're using like we will need like another pretty big chunk to produce like for you know essentially like you know netflix camera looking videos um it's going to be incredible but it's like i i doubt we will make it back but i mean i think all of us you know we're it's all it's not like the only thing any of us do so it's very much a passion project at this point um, and it's going to be really cool to meet the guys, of course. Congratulations, by the way, not only on uh, hitting your mm-hmm. Kickstarter goal, but also uh, all of your subscribers on your channel. Thank so, you. Yeah, man. Stoked thank for you. It. Thank, thank you, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's um, I'm coming up on 100K and I'm trying to now I've been doing the reaction analysis stuff like that's what that's what got it this far. Um, I just put out my first video on like with like singing tips which is like kind of one new foray I'm going into, like actually trying to help people learn how to sing and build their voice. And like, you know, painting with really broad strokes at this point, just like, you know, five steps you can take right now to improve your voice or like how to structure a practice session or like, here's three great vocal exercises, whatever. But from there, I mean, it can kind of go anywhere and down as many rabbit holes as possible down to like, how do you structure a resume for a performing artist? Cause this is like all shit I 
deal with all the time as an opera singer where it's like very formal like very formal performing artist kind of stuff or like how do you nail an audition like what are the steps how do you make sure like how do you ensure you get rehired you know how do you how do you learn a role as an opera singer like how do you approach translations or like whatever so painting with broad strokes but i think like i have a huge goal i would love to get to a million subscribers you know in the next few years and the kind of wave of popularity for reaction videos like kind of came and it's kind of it's kind of going like this a little bit like there were a few channels that like completely blew up like a few years ago um when like that when that style of video kind of first came on the scene and now it's a little bit more of a struggle so like short of putting out multiple videos every day which some people do i just obviously can't while i'm pursuing other things it's like okay i need to kind of branch out and start doing different things and i think there's a big enough market for people who want to get better at singing and certainly want to learn about like other at like and then get more specific for some people about all these other aspects that you know i can talk about giving my background like my master's yeah. degree is like partially in voice science so like i've got, like that's where a lot of the analysis comes from but then like i've sung in a lot of different genres um and you know i've done the audition thing i've done the formal performing artist thing so i think there's a lot of info there that people can benefit from so that's kind of like where i'm, at he I'm heading with the channel now and also relaunching this kind of like podcast thing um you know now that the the following has grown and the numbers have gone up i have access to people like you and people like you know uh like the charismatic voice or um or jeff or like some of these other people that like i can actually reach out to now and be like hey do you want to come chat you know whereas i could not have done that you know a year ago Sure. Um, so that's so that's where it's going. And we'll, you know, it's kind of I'm kind of in like experiment mode right now. Yeah. Um, in terms of like, like um, especially like, yeah, going kind of outside of the performance side of things and giving people tips about the business mm -hmm. is really cool. And uh, which I would have had a channel like that when I was coming up <laughs> in the business. <laughs> I mean, YouTube University, right? Seriously. And I, and I mean, like it's it. something people don't think about, you know, and it's. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was, you know, when I was thinking I might want to make music for a living, uh, you know, as a teenager in Southeast Texas, I was just like ignorant to what that looked like. And, you know, a lot of the opportunities out there, you know, I remember at the time I thought, okay, you either get a record deal or you go on Broadway and that's like your only two options. <laughs> right. You know, I didn't even consider that, you know, some people have fantastic careers on cruise ships, you know, like, yeah. Paid to see yeah. The world and, you know, there's a handful of cruise companies that most of us have never even heard of. And each one of those has a whole fleet of ships. So just right there, there's like literally thousands of positions for musicians of all types. Um, totally. You know, on top of that, theme parks and, uh, you know, other types of touring productions, you know. And so anyway, uh, it's really, yeah, it's really cool. And and, uh, and it's, it's something I, I try to do. I used to at least once a year, go back to my, my high school and talk to the music kids there and just like share with them a little bit of what I've, I've learned and also yeah. hopefully kind of, you know, open their eyes to some of the opportunities that are out there. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Good on you, man. Keep it up. Well, thank you, man. I will. Um, I, I, you know, as long as I can, I've got these two very kind of distinct lives. One is the like 
I mean, it's opera. It's like one of the oldest genres that people still like participate in. So I've got like this very much live performance like that. Like if you see an opera that they do screenings, they do, they have video recordings now, but like the whole thing about opera is it's a, it's a, it's a, it's one voice singing as loud as an orchestra with no microphone. Like that's the whole, that's why it's. How do you do that (laughs) bass register? That doesn't even compute to me. Yeah, you have to have a, I mean, I mean, I've commented on, on your low notes plenty and you know, like you can get down there and you can maintain like the cut in the sound essentially. Um, you have to have enough cut. You have to have enough like high harmonic, high frequency still in those bass notes to where it, it literally can like get above the kind of meat of the orchestra to where you can still hear it like a high soprano. You know, they're they're fundamental and then their first harmonic is already kind of soaring above. So you can if you're a high soprano, you don't have to have like the ridiculous amount of like raw power. But like as a bass singer, I mean, if you're and, and of course, in the opera world, like we don't sing anywhere near as low as we get in the acapella world because it's you're competing with the orchestra. So that's just like completely impossible. But even in like the middle of your voice, I mean, you have to be able to absolutely let it rip like. You have to be able to like, like I said earlier, like healthily yell these notes with like maximum efficiency and breath support, or you just don't have a chance. And you have to build up the endurance to literally do that for like a three hours straight. I can't. Uh, (laughs) It's the most, it is the most absurd thing. I'm so spoiled with my microphone and my big subwoofers (laughs) and EQ. I just the mic and just like breathe these notes and then. And they sound incredible. (laughs) But I mean, it, you know, occasionally we'll we'll do something off mic, um, and like you said, I just feel like I'm just like yelling my bass part to yeah. even be heard, you know, above yeah. the tenors. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, so it's a it's a pretty crazy thing. I think I, I got a little bit of a tangent. That always happens when I start talking. When I start talking about opera, but I've got like this. I'm doing this very old school thing. Like it's really meant for live performance yada 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 and then i've got this whole like virtual thing where it's like youtube and it's you know contemporary acapella with the bass gang and so i mean you know i'm like i'm kind of i'm getting to the point where it's like i'm trying to kind of really figure out where my career as a whole is going to go i'm like right kind of at the cusp of like really going into like a big career as an opera singer like i'm right there's like kind of one more step to jump um, but then like the YouTube is also growing and like the bass gang, I think has a lot of potential. It's like a really cool, exciting group. And so I'm trying to find a way to a way to structure to where like I can keep doing all of it, you know, um, but I don't I don't I won't really know how that looks until like the next few years. Like once all of the things are at their kind of like potential to really go right now, it's still like, OK, the, everything's going really well. Everything's going in the right direction. And I can still kind of. I can still do it all at the moment. I just like, you know, I don't know exactly what the future is going to look like, but it's, it's weird to have one foot in the extreme contemporary scene and one foot in like the 1700s, basically. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, buckle up, man. There's just no telling, you know, yeah, where the wind will take you. I, I, I thought I was done with acapella music years ago. <laughs> Right. Yeah, universe had other plans for me. Mm-hmm. It's wild. It's really wild. Um, actually, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about the on mic versus off mic. Like, 
because there's a lot of things about the performance career and like studio recordings and like how to make music videos that people just don't have any clue about. And so I try to shed some light on this during my analysis videos where it's like you're watching a music video, that music video is lip synced. Like a professional music video is going to be lip sync. And I get like pushback from people and they're like, nope, they sang it right there. Like, no. and usually the rationale is like they can sing this live. So they are clearly singing it in the music video. Right. And I'm like, these are two very different things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just want to like, what's again, like if, in like as simple terms as you can, can you just give like a, just like a little breakdown of like what's different about performing in like a, in like a live, no microphone setting versus, you know, performing in an amphitheater where you've got in-ear microphones and like huge sound systems and choreography and stuff like that. I think it'd be really interesting to hear your take because, you know, you've done, you've done it all. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, yeah, like you said, it, it kind of blows my mind how often people assume we're singing live in our music videos. And I remember our music video, uh, we did a, a cover of Marin Morse's My Church. And yes, yeah, I saw this like little like online debate over whether or not we're singing live, like the, the camera's picking up our audio. And I'm driving a truck in the video. And you can't hear the truck. You know, so exactly. it's just like, it's such a, it's, but I mean, I guess it's, you can't really people because they just don't really know how any of this works and they've seen yeah. us live. Um, it seems obvious because we know, yeah. but like, yeah, you have to take a step back and be like, okay, if I had no idea about any of this, it just looks like their mouths are moving and the sound is coming out, right? Even if we were just like standing there, if we don't have microphones in front of us, you hit record and the, the camera has a, uh, microphone which they normally don't you would just hear wind you know and it's just like exactly yeah yeah, yeah. like the balance will be all wonky um again it's really it would be really hard for you would probably not really hear me you would just hear the tenors um, yeah like if you're if you're sitting on like a low a like you know like way down in your search range and austin is belting a high a Right. Like the volume difference is going to be ridiculous, but in the mix, it's balanced. <laughs> we ever sing, you know, so, like something acoustic or, you know, if there's like a TikTok out there and we're actually singing live, usually I'm standing so much closer <laughs> than anyone else. Yeah, you're like right into the phone. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you so, have to, you know, that's the only way to balance it. That's the, that's the main thing. Um, and then... You know, it was a weird thing to transition to in-ear monitors um, because we spent so many years, believe it or not, traveling without like a sound engineer. And so we kind of learned to self-mix a little bit mm -hmm. from stage, you know, with like mic technique and stuff. Um, That's tough. Yeah. And so... Really tough. You know, but once you have done that, you know, and it's, especially when you're like in a vocal ensemble like that, you know, you like want to kind of hear everyone else and you kind of want to hear the ambiance and the room. And so it's weird switching to in-ear monitors because all of that goes out the window. I mean, you know, you can, 
you can dial in, you know, how much of yourself or each person you're hearing in your ears, but you're not, the blend is completely up to uh, the engineer at that point, you know? Um, And so you have to like put a lot of trust in the, in the front of house engineer, you know, because you don't really know how it sounds out there. So do you, when you have in-ears, do you think less about volume? Yeah. Do you just try to sing with good quality and then the engineer will handle it? Pretty much, you know. Interesting. And, you know, there's different schools of thought, but I, I, I've always subscribed to functioning as more of an instrument and you know like the goal for me is to make people forget that they're like that it's acapella you know okay yeah and so for that reason for the most part i sing really softly because i want to emulate the tone of a bass guitar which is a really soft warm tone, yeah right you know? um and as soon as you like you know sing more on the voice you cease to sound like a guitar and it, you know, um, it might, you know, draw someone's ear to what, what you're doing. Um, and there's certainly, certainly times for that, but I, I basically don't ever want to distract, you know, from the lead or, you know, uh, from the illusion, you know, the acapella illusion of a band. Um, and so, yeah, I, I pick, I pick my moments, you know, just when to sing louder or more on the voice and, um, you know, whether or not to kind of like use like a froggy foghorn approach, you know, like, <laughs> or like a Southern gospel kind of bass, like, yeah. wall, you know, which I, which I've been doing more of lately. Um, you know, when I'm doing a step out or when I go for like one of these, you know, like sub notes or something kind of using that that approach, you know, rather than in the old days, you know, I would even do that really soft. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it's all a a learning process, but no, for the most part, I mean, I'm just like, just humming these notes and letting the microphone do the work. Yeah. I mean, well, that's more if you've, if you've got the engineer there working in real time. Yeah. Right. I mean, cause then if you're trying to like, calibrate yourself all the engineers trying to calculate calibrate i could see how there'd be there'd be issues in the balance like at the end of that chain i'm conscious of not only the tone but also even like the syllables i use you know because it's like you don't i don't want to like draw someone's ear you know i don't don't want anything any bass syllables i'm using like when i'm functioning as a bass guitar like i don't i don't want anything that sounds like a recognizable word you know, yeah. I don't, yeah, yeah. What do you say? You know, <laughs> so, I think I'm I'm saying or singing anything. You know, I just wanted to to feel like a bass guitar. Yeah, I mean, you're you're there to serve the music. Yeah, which is great. You know, like not all not all artists are like that. Um, do you know the the basso profundo Glenn Miller? Have you ever heard of him? No. It is. I'll have to. I'll send you a link. It is the most freakish, low, powerful voice you've ever heard ever but his whole thing is like serving the music like whatever he has to do with his voice so if that means you know he's got all the power in the world on the low end but if if that means completely pulling back to where you can't even hear it that's what the guy's gonna do his whole life is like 
chamber choral music and he's like his whole thing is like i'm just going to surf the music that's awesome like whatever the music needs that's what i'm going to give it the guy he like (laughs) so we've talked about volume a little bit in like an operatic voice and if you are a well-trained opera singer even if you have a huge low end your high notes are going to be so 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 much louder there's a recording of him singing an operatic aria, a bit an operatic bass aria. Probably the only one like low enough in tessitura that he can actually sing because his voice is like, as far as like for op- an operatic bass, you need to have high notes. His voice is like dysfunctionally low as far as like an opera singer would be concerned. So there's like there's one aria that only goes up to a middle C, which for him is like really high, and it usually only goes down to a low F, an F two. He interpolates a low C at the end, like just because he can. And it is louder than any other note that he sings in that R. It is literally louder than his middle C. (laughs) It is the most. He's like singing, he's singing, he's singing. And you're like, okay, maybe he's going to opt for the low C. You can do it. It's an optional thing. And then it comes out and it is the loudest note in the whole R. And you're like, how, how is that possible? It's well, absolutely like, insane. Like we talked about earlier too, like if I have to, you know, project like off mic, if we're doing something off mic and I, so yeah, if I'm getting, you know, anywhere down there towards like a C or something, I might, I'm having to use what is probably a pretty unpleasant tone. You know, like if you mic <laughs> up at that moment and recorded what the way I'm singing those low C's, yeah. no one would want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> just come just to compete with the upper singers in that no it's like it's reserved for like that live yeah. setting when you just have to pump out volume down there to be heard yeah. um another question how um how do you think about practicing do you practice these days or is all your does all your practice come from you know the functional use within an ensemble or with sweet and low or um whatever or do you still have like practice sessions where you work on things in your voice that you want to improve that's a really good question um i I mean i don't practice as much as i should but that having been said i'm like always singing um, right because of all the projects i have going and because of um you know how much home free tours and records um and how much i'm writing outside of that um, so I'm, I'm almost always singing, almost always like working the entirety of my range. Um, uh, we do, we, we have a vocal coach named Dave Stroud, uh, that we met through the sing off and we continue to use him. Um, you know, he, he's, he's interesting, you know, in that he really wants to like empower the vocalist to not need him. Um, which is cool, you know, so he'll, he'll give you like some, some tips and tricks and some like warm ups and stuff to do on your own, you know, um, you know, so that you don't have to, uh, but if we're in his neck of the woods, you know, if we're, if we're performing in Southern California, we'll usually have a session with him, you know, so he can just gauge what's going on and give us a tune up if, if need be, or, um, most of the time these days, if I'm on the road, and you know if i'm sick or something and trying to sing through that sometimes i'll facetime with him and he'll 
he'll give me some tips on you know how to yeah how to when you're sick a little diagnostic yeah i mean it's more important i think when you're like building your voice originally to to kind of create the toolkit you know like you've been singing for so long professionally and all these genres like you've had the requisite time to like build up an incredible toolkit and like you need to do this with your voice oh okay i know how to do that with my voice but for like beginners it's like super crucial um i mean it like opera obviously more than others because it is like i said it's so heavily based on like it's kind of like vocal engineering in a way but any genre just like building the foundation of your voice this this is actually the points i was making that then that first video i just put out like yesterday it's just like find some exercises that like work that are you know based around your goals as a singer and like do them as much as possible like every day three times a week even if it's just 10 minutes just to kind of like create that foundation and then once you have that foundation you then apply that skill you've gained to singing the the songs to singing the repertoire you know to, to to bouncing around genres but like for beginner singers i feel like it's so important to just get that foundation settled so that you're not it's not a huge guessing game when you're trying to sing a new song you know you're like okay this is it's in this range like i know how to i know how to approach that now yeah um yeah i mean you know how it is too like you're you're kind of like always just like gauging you know your voice and you I, I most of us anyway most vocalists like always kind of want to stretch ourselves and you know want to want to be better and yeah and um you know i i always wanted to be able to sing any part uh you know sing in multiple styles um and so you know i'm just kind of always humming too you know and, <laughs> yeah yeah you know, sometimes it's in the bass range sometimes it's up high or or whatever i guess i guess i i've spent the more recent years focusing more on you know being able to uh sing like a higher lead or something you know, like be able to sing a lead in a tenor range and not sound like a bass trying to sing a lead in a tenor range. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, so kind of like, uh, I guess play around with, with, uh, not only like upper full voice stuff, but also, uh, kind of like, I guess a mix people call it, um, yeah, of course. whatever that hybrid thing is between <clears throat> falsetto and full voice, head voice yeah. or whatever. Um, so that that's like what I've more consciously worked on the last 10 years or so. Um, you know, whereas like the time leading up to that, it probably was more about like trying to figure out how to, you know, more bass stuff, you know, like how to figure out different tone, bass tones. And, and uh, you know, you're always trying to extend your, your voice in both directions. So figuring out how to, you know, be able to sing a little lower and mic technique and all, and all that kind of stuff. Um, one exercise I used to do uh, that I always that I tell the guys I work with, you know, I challenge them is is to be able to like do a like a slide in the entirety, like start up at the tip top of your falsetto and slide all the way down to the very bottom of your range without there being any kind of like audible switch, you know, between the parts of your voice. Like if you can just yeah. make it and smooth. <clears throat> yeah, that's it. Great and control. That's something I used to do, and then you know, from the bottom up and back down and stuff like that. 
Yeah. And that's something I used to do a lot, you know, cause you're constantly ga- gauging, you know, how strong your voice is and all of those, those, those places and where, where your breaks are. And, you know, like it forces you basically to figure out, you know, how to strengthen those, those parts of your voice where there is a definite break. Yeah. It's like, if you can learn to smooth that out, then you're like, you know, you're, you're essentially developing like a new, a new way to produce notes. So. Totally. Yeah. I mean, if you have, if you can do that, you've got really good control over like your registration. Right. right? So you go from the full chest voice into that mixed voice into the falsetto. If that's seamless, that's excellent. And you can, you can find ways to use that. Like you were just talking about in these high tenor solos. Yeah. If you get good at that blending, it gets to the point where it's like, if you're listening to a recording, you're like, I'm not quite sure, you know, what mode they're in, or I'm not quite sure when they switch to this other mode. Right. Which is like, that's a great illusion. You want to give the audience as a singer. So they're not listening. And it's like, oh, his voice flipped up. Like, you don't want that to distract, right? You want it to be this like seamless yeah. col- column of sound from top to bottom, essentially. And, you know, it's also just so it becomes more and more automatic, you know, and, and, and you know, like you're not really thinking about it. It's like almost like muscle memory at that point, you know. Oh, it has to be. I mean, especially for performances. Yeah. Right. You can't be sitting there thinking about how am I going to sing this next note? It's just got to yeah. got to be there. <laughs> It's, and it's nice too, you know, to, to get to a point where, uh, you know, like, especially now, like there, there's, there's some, some notes in my upper register where it's like, I have options. Like I can yell this out full voice or I can do kind of a mix or I could just faucet. And that's, you know, that's kind of yeah. fun too. Yeah. 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 Have those options. For sure. Um, few more questions, a few more oh, questions dude. for you. You got all the time in the world. I got a question for you because I keep forgetting to ask you. Okay. If you happen to watch uh, Austin and Rob's, uh, they did like an operatic aria. They did I did. Just- I, ma- I made a video for it. Oh, did you? I did. I'll have to go check it out. Yeah, check it out. Um, well, as you can tell, like Rob like actually has the training. <clears throat> yeah, Rob. Well, I was, I was really impressed. And I don't know how much training he's done. But for out for however much he's done, like he has like very real potential as an opera singer. So he did a ton back in college, and you know he had some professors that like wanted him <laughs> to go in that direction, and he didn't really have the interest. Yeah, uh, you know, no, I, I I can hear that. That was a lot of the meat. I was kind of breaking down what he was doing yeah. so well. Which the thing is, like, you can go through undergrad and still be terrible, like not even getting close to any of the foundation of the operatic technique. Tons of singers do that. There are singers that go through their masters that really still aren't scratching the surface. Like Rob is well under the surface. Like, I mean, he, like, there's a lot of really great foundation there, even like how he's approaching the high notes in that song, which like that takes operatic tenors, a lot of training to kind of figure out how to get there, you know, and maintain like that full, chest connection everything it was really it was it was shocking i was like that's a voice that like very likely could have had a solid career as an operatic oh, tenor he absolutely could if he if he wanted to yeah and he said it took him about a month he spent like a full like austin had asked him to do that and he was like all right i need a month to get back into shape for this kind of thing <laughs> um, yeah but it's so wild you know like like his you know operatic voice versus his pop voice like it sounds like two different people it's crazy well, that's the thing i mean it's like it's a the opera singing is a very like fabricated 
unnatural thing in a lot of ways. Like that's why it's so trained. And it was, it was cool to hear the two of them. Cause Austin, it was like, this sounds like a musical theater singer right. singing an operatic aria. Whereas like Rob was like, this sounds like, this sounds like a voice with serious potential for a career in opera. You know, it, it was Rob studied opera in college and Austin has a musical theater yeah. uh, degree. So yeah. there you go. It checks out. No, I really enjoyed that though. I mean, that was, um, probably the most for like a few weeks that was the most heavily recommended thing sure people want me to comment on for obvious reasons oh uh, yeah it was great it was great i would love to hear i would love to hear rob sing more opera obviously <laughs> definitely will but yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he shot himself in the foot because <clears throat> now people are asking for it left and right well the thing is i mean he was he's he's better than any opera singer i've heard on these like talent shows right. like they're pretty much all horrendous to be to be to be quite frank but people hear people hear a, a la, like a, a high note with vibrato and they're like oh my gosh opera right. i'm like that's not <laughs> i'm like there's a lot more to it than that um he, he he legitimately is like the the best the best of the non-opera singer singing opera i've probably ever heard for real is is awesome. I was really surprised. Um okay. Um what are some of your like favorite places you've gotten to perform? Just like some favorite like performance memories from from home free, like other countries on the sing off. Like what are some that like really stick in your mind? It's like that was a like a really cool memorable performance. For sure. Um yeah, I mean the the sing off is like, yeah, one one big surreal performance memory. Yeah, um, I bet. I, I mean, I was such a fan of all the judges on that on that show. I mean, like I was like I idolized Boys to Men. Like I said, I was always drawn to music with harmony in it. Um, and so when I heard Boys to Men, I was like, whoa. Um, so I like lived and breathed that stuff, you know, middle school and high school. Um, Ben Folds is probably like my most influential artist, like modern artist, you know, of my, of my adult years. Um, and then was a huge fan of Jewel as well as like, as a songwriter. And, you know, she was kind of like the soundtrack to uh, my high school years. So it was like, so surreal too. And a little nerve wracking, you know, like I, I, and I don't get nervous. Like I haven't had stage fright generally like in years. Um, uh, and so it's always like odd and unsettling to me when I experience that. I'm, you know, I'm like, what is this odd feeling? I'm like, oh, it's probably stage fright. Um, so I had a little bit of that for, you know, like certainly the first episode of the sing off. And then after that loosened up mostly. And then there's, you know, still a couple of, a couple of moments where I maybe wasn't, wasn't as relaxed as I'm used to being. Um, and then after that, like, didn't really experience it again until the first time we performed at the Grand Ole Opry here in Nashville and wasn't really expecting it either, you know, <clears throat> and I like stepped out on stage and kind of like got a little like jittery and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, that, uh, the first time we performed at the Ryman, every time you perform at the Ryman Auditorium is, is like transcendent. Uh, the Grand Ole Opry is, is is wild you know to be a, to be a part of that history um we've also just collaborated with it with a ton of you know absolute megastar icons 
you know, so that's unbelievably surreal. You know, every, every one of those is just like, makes you scratch your head. Like how, how, how am I here right now? <laughs> um, I mean, just like the Oak Ridge boys alone, you know, yeah. like maybe the most famous bass singer in contemporary music, hmm. you know, it's like to be able to trade off on the own Papa Mouse with Richard Sturban. It like, <laughs> doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, but yeah, as far, as far as places, um, we, we performed in the ruins of an ancient church in Belgium. Amazing. Like it's still like just walls now, you know, there's no, there's no ceiling on it anymore. And that was really beautiful and wild and, and surreal. And, you know, I mean, just to perform anywhere and, and have people, you know, come out to see you is really, is really wild and validating, but to be on the other side of the world and, you know, have a bunch of people come out and like know your music and sing along. That's, that's insane. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So that kind of stuff, um, you know, obviously what we filmed, how great thou art in the Austrian Alps. So it's hard to, it's hard to beat that. I actually have, I had not seen that until about six weeks ago. Okay. And so I made a first time video for it. I think it's coming out in a few weeks. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was gorgeous, and the, the scenery is unbelievable. And again, that was, <laughs> a lot of that was filmed by a drone. <laughs> so, spoiler alert, we're not singing live. I'm sorry yeah. to disappoint you folks. Uh, <laughs> but again, all, you would just hear the blades from the drone. And Yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, not exactly what people are looking for, probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but so those are kind of like standout like places and, and venues and stuff. Um, just as far as like, for whatever reason, places we go where the audiences are super fun, like the, the, um, Pacific Northwest, hmm. like all over there for whatever reason, it's just like a party every time we have a show out there. So, um, Washington, Oregon, all the spots, uh, even Denver is like super fun. Um, you know, the Midwest is, has it's great to us. You know, it's like we, especially Christmas time, like we actually sell out some like midsize arenas, you know, in the Midwest. <laughs> awesome. That's, that's awesome. Real, a whole other ball game. Yeah. Uh, over in Europe, uh, around Amsterdam, for some reason they, they love us and it's like, ah, yeah, Amsterdam. Yeah. Big shows. <laughs> and, you know, really fun. And, <clears throat> The European shows are really fun in general, honestly, because they're like, they have a little more like party in them. Yeah. You know, it's like, especially because we, we tend to perform in so many theaters and performing arts centers and stuff like that. And we try to bring, you know, like the, the country concert vibe to it, yeah. you know, but it's like, <laughs> I don't know, some people are hesitant to get super rowdy, you know, cause you're like in a fancy looking venue with like yeah, yeah, yeah. seats and it's like, yeah, we like want you on your feet and like, <laughs> like crazy up in here. So we kind of have to coax that out of some American audiences in certain venues, but that's not the case over in Europe. Um, okay. They kind of just like, it's a party from the start and we play more clubs over there too than we do here. Okay. You know, so it's like more standing room only and it's just kind of a different, different vibe. So where are you guys headed the, this tour coming up? Um, <laughs> the European tour? Yeah, yeah, European tour. All over, uh, uh, 
uh, I'm going to look it up because I don't want to, I don't want to say somewhere that we're not going for sure, but I know we're doing the UK, uh, which is really exciting because we, we didn't get there last time. We had to like, cut uh, short because it was 2020 okay. and we, it, it got cut off by the pandemic. And so a lot of these places that we're visiting, we got to last time, but the, the poor UK has been, it's been waiting four years for us at this point. <laughs> um, so we're doing Germany, Denmark, <clears throat> Sweden, Norway, Austria, Switzerland, the Netherlands, and the UK. Amazing. Yeah. Will you guys have any time to explore in between tour dates and hang, or is it pretty, uh, pretty action packed? Uh, a little bit. Um, you know, we, we have a few days built off and we'll, we'll get out and about. Certainly when we're in Europe, we do more exploring on show days than we, than we would otherwise, you know, like here touring in the States. A lot of times we just stay cooped up in the venue. Yeah. Uh, over there, we for sure kind of get out and, and, and do the touristy thing. Nice. And have you guys, uh, have you been to Asia before for shows? Just Taiwan. We did, um, we did a acapella festival in Taiwan. Okay. We definitely want to do more. I really want to get up to Japan. Yeah. That's uh, high on my bucket list too, for uh, sure. Market too for acapella music up there. We can we can thank Rockapella for that. They paved paved the way for us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool, man. Um I'm interested in what you do outside of the music world. Like do you do you have so any boring. do you have any non music hobbies? Or shows, um, or shows that you like, or so many shows. And I know you have dog. You have a dog. I do. I have a polar bear of a dog. Two cats. Uh, we're actually going to be getting a puppy next month as well. Aww. Um. So that'll that'll keep me busy. But it's so, it's so funny. We this question comes up a lot in our VIP sessions. People like ask, you know, like what our hobbies are, and everyone has hobbies. And it gets to me, and I'm like, I don't. I'm so boring. Um, cause you, like I said, my hobby became my job and I didn't really like develop a new one. And because of the way like we work when I'm off, like I do as little as possible. Yeah. Fair enough. Like, as little as my wife will allow. Like I said, <laughs> I park it on the couch or in the bed and just like binge watch stuff until my wife says you have to get up and do something. Um, <laughs> But my, my favorite thing in the world to do outside of music is snorkel. Okay. So I consider okay. that kind of a new hobby that I, I don't really get to pursue as often as I, as I would like to. Um, but uh, we try to take at least <clears> one <throat> vacation, usually in January, because um, we spend so much of December touring the Midwest and it almost kills me every year. So come January, I have to like go somewhere tropical and thaw out. <laughs> Have you, uh, do you have any desire to get your scuba license, learn how to scuba? Yes, actually more and more interested in that. Uh, yeah. I'll, be, I'll be going that one alone. My, my wife has kind of a love hate relationship with the ocean. Uh, she also grew up in Wisconsin, which is a, about That's, as far away as yeah. you can get so <laughs> yeah. fascinated, but terrified of the ocean. Yeah. Fair enough. And so I kind of have to like twist her arm into snorkeling with me every time. And she loves it, but she's on edge the whole time, but she was like, I'll never, I'll never scuba. So no I'm scuba. Like, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Just like about your hobbies though. I mean, it's not like you just do home free and then you could like have all this other time to find it. Like you do you have so many musical projects going on that like effectively your hobbies are just also music, 
related, you know? And, you know, I would, I would, I would list songwriting among my hobbies as well, you know, even though yeah, become a part of, part of my career, you know, it's, it's something that I still just, you know, do for the love of it. And, uh, something that happens really naturally and organically. Cool. Right on. All right. Before we sign off, um, a few tips from you for anyone. Let's go with any young bases out there and especially any young bases who are trying to get into the acapella scene. Yeah. Um, I mean, so many of my tips are like, are non-musical, just like, you know, network your butt off basically it's like more important <laughs> than how talented you are you know it's like yeah you know make make connections and, and get to know people um uh i would say like don't worry so much about like trying to sing low you know it's like work work the entirety of your voice you know um if if you don't sing that much like up in your falsetto then i would say do that until until it's comfortable you know until you don't you don't feel like weird <clears throat> singing up there um you know and then start working your like way down work on your upper full voice and your and then try to find that that hybrid thing between your full voice and your falsetto um uh if you haven't sung much on a microphone then like do that you know too because it's a whole it's a whole different ball of wax like we discussed earlier um you know love learn learn how to sing like almost as soft as possible that's what i tell a lot of the guys i work with i'm like what is like the the lowest note you can sing using the like the least amount of effort you know because a lot of times it is you know as, as guys are trying to, uh, you know, maybe like scrape the bottom of their range or push, you know, down towards a note that's not necessarily mm. the most comfortable, the, the instinct is to like tighten up, like muscle through it, you know, yeah. and, yeah, yeah. and kind of like force it out. And it's really, if you have a microphone, that's the opposite of what you want to do. You want to go the other way and use this little, you know, like have it be almost all breath. Yeah. yeah. So I would encourage, you know, uh, <laughs> singers to ex experiment with that as well. Cause it ends up being a really warm and more, uh, more pleasant tone. Definitely. Yeah. I want to, I want to piggyback off the point about, you know, training the upper part, especially <clears throat> cause like the lower part of your range, like natural chest range is pretty set. Like it is very, like you can, I always mostly like, Usually if you train it, if you do train it, it might continue to drop very gradually, right? But it's not like you can just start training your lower chest range and you'll just get a fifth right. on the bottom. It just doesn't work like that. Whereas like the upper range in all the different registers is so much more trainable. Like there's so much more potential to increase and improve your high notes than there is to like just have a lower chest voice. Right. So it's always a funny question, you know, and this is not really well-known information, I guess. And why would it be unless you're in the scene? But people will ask someone who sings low, like yourself, for example, like, how do you sing so low in your chest voice? And you're like, that's, that is like the most natural part of your voice. It's just a low, natural voice. 
you know, and then you can, you can, you can thicken the notes, you can make them louder, you can learn how to make different colors with them. But as far as like how low your voice is, it's much more set in stone than your upper range. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, like you said, you can't really like will yourself into having lower notes and it's, you know, it's hard to add notes on the bottom by working those notes. If anything, you might add a couple of notes by strengthening the other end of your voice, which is yeah. counterintuitive. Counterintuitive, but yeah. Completely agreed. Man, this has been a great chat. Thank Dude, you. Thank you, Tim, for, for for coming on and chat with me. And I think people are going to get a lot of enjoyment and value out of this conversation, especially the things that, you know, are just not well known to a lot of your fan base, a lot of my fan base about, you know, what it means to perform on mic versus off mic, or these things we're just talking about now with, with vocal ranges or the stuff with music videos. So it's been really enjoyable to talk to you. So thank you. I will, uh, I'll keep you closely posted on, um, when this is coming out and, uh, any final words to the audience go right ahead. Any plugs you want to make as well? Oh, I mean, I just want to thank anybody who's still watching at this point. And then yes, uh, yes. You know, 90 minutes in hearing these two dudes just grumble at each other. I'm so <laughs> you're still here. So thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for, for supporting what we do. Um, yeah, we, we couldn't, we couldn't do it without you. So please continue to tune into stuff like that. Um, you know, always make sure you're, you're liking and subscribing and sharing and commenting. It really does go so far and uh continue to support peter barber and the bass gang y'all <laughs> there you have it y'all all right we will see you in the next one peace out peace out